Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, we're going to get into the Word of God. We're going to be looking at a passage in the Song of Songs. And if some of you haven't been here for the last few weeks and haven't heard um, Jesse and Marvin preach on that, I mean, I'm just curious, how many people have heard someone preach from the book of Song of Songs? Yeah, yeah. Quite a few of you. That's really great. It's, it's a little bit obscure. I mean, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit unknown. I was sitting near somebody that you know, during one of the other sermons, and they said to turn to this Song of Songs passage, and I could hear them mumbling, where is that? You know, <laughs> It's not a book that people read all, a lot, but it's, it's something that I think we should be paying attention to, especially in this time that we're approaching the return of Jesus, okay? Um, it is called the Song of Songs, or the song above all songs, or the best song, or the most important song, okay? Um, which is saying a lot, because, you know, there's another book of the Bible that has 150 songs recorded in it. And recorded in the Bible is also songs that are being sung in heaven. Why would you sit there and say, this is the song. You know, why would God say, this is number one on my billboard list? You know, this is my song. This is the one I want. Um, so it's, it's a, worth it for us to pay a little bit of attention to this, right? And I want to say it's a song, a, a song that's like, when we read it, it's more like poetry. We're reading this poetic passage. And it's... it's extolling the love between King Solomon and his betrothed bride. They refer to her as the Shulamite, the Shulamite woman. That's on one level, okay? But it was always understood among the Jewish rabbis that it was actually also an allegory for God and his people, the Jews, of the love song, the love story between them. And then, of course, when Jesus arrived on the scene, came to the earth as a baby, forever after that, the Christian church looked at it as also an allegory for Jesus, the bridegroom, like King Solomon, and his church. We are the bride. Now, if you've read the book of Revelations, you know that everything, all of history of this age, culminates in a wedding feast between Jesus and his bride, the church. So this is an allegory. This has something to teach us as Christians, okay, about this love song that is happening between us and our King Jesus, okay? Now, I'm gonna ask you to put on your allegory glasses, okay? All right, we're ready for this? Because it's important that we're not turning this into something where it's sexual, or it's romantic. We're not, we're not going there, okay? You guys got that, right? Jesus is not our boyfriend, okay? I mean, sometimes we can get a little, little off kilter, okay? But it is about a love story, okay? So I want you to think back um, to when things all started for you. We all kind of started from the same place. We all started from that place of we didn't really care about God. We didn't really care about the things of God. 
We maybe didn't even really know very much about the things of God, but even if we believed there was a God, we didn't really care what he thought. We didn't care what he wanted. Um, we were mostly just living our lives, trying to do what was good for us, right? Okay? We all started out that way. But hopefully somewhere along the way, uh, something happened where you encountered God. And just for a brief moment, your eyes were open, and you saw him, and you saw what he had done for you. And he, you saw that you were in a state where your sin was going to overtake you, and there was going to be a judgment, and you had no hope of ever escaping that. And you saw that this man came and offered to rescue you from that. Offered to be in a relationship with you. Offered to love you and shepherd you and help you. And for most of us, I think, maybe for all of us in this room today, that captured our hearts. And we turned to him and we said, yes, we want this. We want this. I mean, I still remember that day. I was 14 years old and I got saved or responded to an altar call at a vacation Bible school. And I tell you what, I'm walking home. I don't even think my feet were touching the ground. I mean, I was so elated, not just because I felt free from my sin, but that was part of it, but because I felt like there is a God, and he loves me, and he's going to take care of me, and I don't have to worry about a thing because my life is in his hands now. And I was so happy, okay? Um, and that was the beginning of my love for Jesus, okay? It was very small. It was very weak. It was real, okay? But it was not fully formed. Is it possible that it's required that our love would grow and mature? Are we meant to stay at that one moment when we first fell in love? Or is love meant to progress and become more and more and more in our lives, more and more controlling our lives? I mean, we have Jesus, his love, fully formed. It's already all there, okay? But for us, I feel like our love has to grow, has to mature, okay? So I want us to look at a passage because Jesus prophesied all of this when he was telling, talking to his disciples. Um, we're going to look at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And I think we have it. Yeah, there we go. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, we're going to read to 31. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Would you say 
that you're at that point where you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I have to confess that I'm not there yet. I love him more today than I did yesterday, 10 years ago, but I'm I'm not to that level yet. But you know what? Jesus has got this in plan in mind or he's going to bring me there, okay? He's going to bring you there. Because he said, this is where, this is where we're going, church. <laughs> we're going to be wholehearted lovers of Jesus. By the time he comes back, um, we're going to be fully in love, okay? So this song of songs has some really good counsel for us while we're on this journey, because that's the journey we're all on of this maturing love and there's some really good, helpful things in this book. So, you know, if you don't hear anything else that I'm saying today, please take the time to read Song of Songs and really look into it because God will really make a way for you in the area of love. Okay, so the passage from Song of Songs we're going to look at today is um, chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 5. So if you're looking for Song of Songs, go to Psalms and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes, and then you'll find Song of Songs. All right. Song of Songs, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the Shulamite woman speaking. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, O you who are my love, where you feed your flock, where you make it to rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? And then Solomon responds, If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your goats beside the shepherd's tents. So, um, again, poetic language, right? Are you going to stick with me on this? Okay. So she says she is dark but lovely. She is dark as in... She has been browned by the sun, okay? Why is that a bad thing? Well, in this time period, the people that were in the aristocracy, the kings, the king's courts, would have been uh, living lives of luxury and daintiness and would not be out in the fields laboring, and so they would be fair, more fair than the general populace probably, okay? This is not... I I just saw Irene. Irene was telling me about when she was in Kansas City, she saw a woman, an African-American woman, wearing a shirt that said dark and lovely. And I I like that. It's true. It's a true story. But um, in this case, it's talking about dark but lovely. Dark, in this case, is not a good thing, okay, in the Shulamites' estimation. It is not good that she is dark. In fact, she's saying, don't even look at me. Don't even look at me, you know. (laughs) I know I look terrible because I'm got this suntan skin, okay? She is dark like the tents of Kedar. Those are um, goat skin, black goat skin tents. So you get the idea of poetic language. She's just saying she's really darkened by the sun. 
Okay, she's saying, don't even look at me. She tells about her mother's sons are angry with her. I love the poetic language. Mother's sons. Okay, that's your brothers, right? Your brothers are mad at you, <laughs> okay? She has brothers that are mad at her, okay? They're causing her to have to work really hard in the vineyards. They're saying, you go and take care of this. And her own vineyard, her own heart, if you will, she hasn't had been even to attend to it, okay? It's going to weeds. <laughs> any, any gardeners in the crew? You, you know what happens to a garden if you don't tend it, right? Okay. Um, and she's saying, tell me, you whom I love, where you feed your flock. She's asking Solomon, it's like, where are you? <laughs> okay, do you get that here? She's like, I don't even know where you are. You know, where, where are you feeding your flock? Where do you make your flock to lie down at noon? Now, a flock of sheep, if you don't know this, we used to keep sheep many years ago. If you don't know this, that in the Middle East, it's very, very hot in the middle of the day. So they have the sheep graze and get their bellies full, and then they make them lie down in the middle of the day to uh, digest and to rest, okay? And she's feeling like a veiled woman. In that culture of that day, if you were among people that weren't your family or your close friends, you would wear a veil. So she's saying, I feel like I'm so far away from you that I have to be like one of the people that wears a veil, okay? So here's the soundtrack. See if you've ever heard this in your own brain, okay? The soundtrack would be, I don't feel good about myself right now. I feel like I'm dark. I feel like I'm unattractive right now. I feel like I'm working my fingers to the bone and nobody cares, nobody sees me. I feel like people are mad at me and I don't even know why they're mad at me, but people are mad at me. Um, and I feel like God is far, far, far away. I can't find him right now. Okay. Has anybody ever heard that? I mean, I won't ask you to raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. I have heard that soundtrack in my, my own experience, my own brain. Okay. So there is good advice for you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, there is good advice for you in this book if, if you want to take a hold of it. Okay. So we're going to take a look at some of the things that can hinder you in your love walk with God. You're wanting to grow in love with God. You're wanting to grow in closeness with God. We're going to look at some of the things that can hinder that. And we're going to look at Jesus's answer for those things because he has an answer in here. Okay. All right. The first thing we want to look at is dark but lovely. So very shortly after you get born again, usually very shortly, you discover some things in your life that are not really what you want them to be, okay? Um, I call them areas of compromise, <laughs> call them that. Basically, you're doing some things that you know are not right. You're doing some things that you know God is not saying this is what you should be doing, okay? Or perhaps sometimes it looks more like you're not doing some things <laughs> that you know would be the right thing to do, but 
you're saying, I don't want to, okay? That's the darkness of heart. And in this allegory, I'm gonna say that this is the darkness that she's talking about. There is a certain darkness in all of us and um, hopefully you don't feel like you have to deny that that's there. <laughs> I mean, hopefully you recognize that that's there. But the reason why the Holy Spirit brings that forth, brings that to your attention, is to work humility in your life, to work gratitude in your life, because he's not going to leave you in that place, all right? Um, oftentimes when we discover these things about ourselves, we immediately think, uh, you know, I don't think God wants to see me right now. <laughs> I don't think he wants to hear me right now. I think he's probably pretty ticked off or maybe disgusted or, um, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's going to keep himself back from me during this because, after all, I'm not doing the right thing. That's where the natural human tendency tends to go, okay? But the idea is that... God wants to respond to that by saying, yes, you are dark. He won't deny that you are dark, but he wants to say that he, you are also lovely. Okay? In this passage, um, Jesus's or King Solomon's response to her was, the, first, the very first thing he says to her is, if you do not know O fairest or most beautiful of women. Now why, why would he say that? We're gonna come back to that. We're gonna come back to that, but I want you to think about that for a minute. Why would he say that? Some, some churches um, really spend a lot of time talking about holiness and being holy before God. In fact, sometimes you'll hear preachers that are really trying to make their point and they'll say things like, we're going to open up the altar, you know, get up here, confess your sins. Um, if you should be in a car accident on your way home and you haven't confessed sin, you know, you're going to go to hell. You know, you got you to gotta get up here. You got to be confessing your sins. That should be occupying your time a lot. You should be looking for sin, confessing your sin, getting forgiveness for sin. And what that creates in people is fear, fear of God. It creates self-loathing. What is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing these things? Or sometimes, even worse than that maybe, it can create pride because people start saying, well, I'm not as bad as Marvin, you know, okay? I mean, do you remember Jesus talking about Figured I'm Marvin. Do you remember when Jesus talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector coming before God? And what did the Pharisee say? He's praying. He's going, God, I thank you that you have not made me like other men, <laughs> other wicked men, like this tax collector next to me. Okay. 
what does the tax collector pray? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus' response was, hey, which guy do you think went home justified? <laughs> okay, so those are all, can be bad responses to taking the dark part that's in all of our lives and going in the wrong direction with it, okay? If we know and realize that we are dark, but we also understand that we are lovely, we live life entirely differently. Uh, we can live spiritually healthy lives. So I want to return to the question of how can Jesus say you are lovely, you are beautiful, even in the midst of the fact that you're not doing everything right, okay? You're not meeting the standard, right? But he says, you are the most beautiful thing to me. How can he say that? Doesn't he know what he's getting into? Didn't he know what he was getting into when he called us? So this is what I'm calling the mystery of grace. We throw that word around a lot, but you know what? It means a lot more than we think it does, I think. Why would Jesus say that we are beautiful? I have, I have four reasons that I've put down, but I, I'm sure there's more but I think these are the main ones. The first one we're going to look at is righteousness has been imparted to us as a gift. Okay. And I've got three scriptures that I want to look at for that. Um, let's do the 2 Corinthians 5, 21 first. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For he that's referring to Jesus made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is the most amazing thing. I can't even get my head wrapped around it. This one, this perfect one who did absolutely nothing wrong, nothing, okay, has offered to say, okay, I will take your sin on me and the punishment that is due that sin, and I'll trade you. I'll trade your righteousness. Who wouldn't take that deal? And he did it just because he wanted to do that. And we're forever going to be looking at that. Okay? Let's look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 9.
But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, oh my word, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us all sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is a free gift. It is a free gift that we are beautiful to God. That's what he says, okay? What he says goes, all right? One more, one more, because I just personally can't get enough of this. Hebrews 8, and we're going to look at Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 8. There's this prophetic word, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, write them on their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall say to his neighbor, or none to his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Only God can do this, okay? Only God can do this. All right, second reason why I think, if I'm understanding correctly, why Jesus could call us beautiful, even in the midst of our brokenness, and that is that we have a willing spirit. And by that, I mean somewhere deep down inside of us, there's this tiny little yes <laughs> that we're saying, yes, I want to trust you. Yes, I want to obey you. Yes, I want to walk according to your plan for my life. Do we do it perfectly? Of course not. But deep down inside, there is that little yes, and he sees these little movements of our heart, and he finds them very precious. And he says, I will receive that. I know that there's that little yes, um, I know you're not there yet, but I see the little yes, okay? I want to say that Jesus just evaluates things differently. He sees things differently. Do you remember when, uh, right before Jesus was to be betrayed and killed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he took some of his disciples with him, and he said, hey, guys, pray with me. 
because my soul is sorrowful even to death. And so they started out praying for him, but they were really tired and they fell asleep. Okay. On this horrible night for Jesus, these are his closest friends and they fell asleep. And he comes back and he finds them asleep. Do you remember what he said to them? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He has compassion on our humanity, um, far beyond what we realize. He recognizes that there is a spirit in us that's saying yes. He also recognizes that we are still broken in many ways. We're still on the journey. And he says, it's okay, I see it. I can deal with that. <laughs> I still say you're beautiful. I still say I want you, okay. All right, third thing is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, you know, Jesus says, I think you're beautiful. He gets to decide that. <laughs> Okay, um, we can sit there and say, well, don't look at me, I'm dark, you know, but Jesus is going, hey, I see you as beautiful. And that's, that's the way it is. Okay, that's the way it is. The last thing is, <laughs> the last thing is, um, Jesus has seen us through eyes of eternity, okay? I, you know, sometimes these things just, break my brain, okay? <laughs> um, think about these things. Uh, yeah. So Jesus is just not seeing you in this moment. He's not just seeing you in the next year. He, he's not just seeing you in the next 10 years. He's not seeing you in the next billion years. <laughs> the next billion, billion years, okay? He has the eyes of eternity, okay? So that there's this little glitch right now doesn't worry him very much, okay? He is looking at the big picture, the ultimate big picture, okay? All right? Um, I was thinking about the, the story of, you know, well, let's read it. Let's, let's read it exactly when uh, Jesus, right before he was going to be betrayed and killed. Um, let's see if I can figure out which one it was. Yeah, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. He has this conversation with Peter. You know, I, I love Peter. I love to read what Peter says and what Peter does. I mean, he, he was awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some good conversations with him in heaven, I think. But anyways, uh, Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So you see the prayer life of Jesus here. <laughs> He's praying for Peter that your faith would not fail. Did Peter's faith fail? I mean, just I'm asking. Who, who thinks Peter's faith failed? Okay. 
So Jesus didn't get his prayer answered? Of course not. Of course not. Because yes, Peter did deny the Lord. I mean, he was the one that said, hey, even if everybody else leaves you, I won't leave you. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to defend you, Jesus. Okay. Um, and he needed to know that that wasn't true. Okay. But he did deny the Lord um, when he was being tried in the court. You know, he was, Peter was asked by a little servant girl that was tending the fire there, and, and he said, I don't even know him. Don't even know him. Nope. Nope. Did it three times. Okay. Would you look at that and say, oh, his faith failed. Oh, man. Too bad, Jesus. You didn't get what you bargained for. Well, what happened after that? What happened after that? when Jesus was resurrected and came back and talked to Peter? Did he sit there and say, man, did not see that coming, Peter. I thought you were with me. I thought you were a good guy. Guess I'm going to have to find another disciple, you know. No, of course not. He restored him. He restored him. He said, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, you know I do. Not the way I thought I did, but you know I do love you, okay? And Jesus gives him an assignment, feed my sheep, okay? Jesus restores him, and he goes on to do amazing things in the kingdom of God. So Jesus had the big picture in mind, the big picture. And he has the same big picture in mind for you. So if you know that, if you really believe that, when you stumble... And I don't say if you stumble, I say when you stumble, you're going to go to him and say, help me out, Jesus, help me out. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be doing that. You know, I'm weak. I'm weak in this. I'm broken in this. I need your help. You're not going to be saying, oh, God, just stay away from me for a while. <laughs> because, you know, I know it was bad, Okay. You're not going to assume that God is sitting there going, oh, man, I don't know why I called this guy. guess I'm going to have to find somebody else. You know? It makes all the difference in the world if you know that you are dark but lovely to him. All right, so in the Song of Songs passage, we're just going to go back to that. <clears throat> the second thing that can interfere with your love walk of maturing in love. She talks about being overworked. I mean, she's just working so hard. She doesn't have time to even tend her own vineyard. And there's a lot of people that would find themselves in that position where they're, they are working hard. They are working hard for the Lord sometimes, okay? There's a lot of reasons why people really work hard um, some of them good, some of them maybe not so good. Sometimes people are working very hard because they're trying to make a name for themselves. You know, they want to feel like they're doing something important, that they are somebody, right? Sometimes people are working hard because other people are, they're, they're worried about what other people think, okay? So they're working very hard. Um, in this case, she had her brothers were mad at her and they were 
forcing her to work. Um, people sometimes, and, and this is really not where we want to go, sometimes people work very hard because they want God to like them. And they really believe that the only way for God to like them <laughs> is if they're working really hard. They're really serving him, you know. Really doing something good that everybody would look at and say, that was good, that was really good. But that will make God like you, okay. The thing is, God likes you already. God loves you already. And God will give you assignments, but Jesus said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Whatever assignment he gives you, it may require some hard work. Don't get me wrong. There are assignments that are going to test you, okay? But it's always going to leave room for relationship with him. It's never going to be God is demanding so much of you that you don't even have a minute to breathe. You don't have a minute to pray. You don't have a minute to read the word. You don't have a minute to fellowship with believers. You're just exhausted all the time because you're working so hard. I want to say, if you find yourself in that boat, it is probably not the Lord. It is probably not the Spirit of the Lord. Or you're going about it in a way that it's not according to the Spirit of the Lord. There's always a need for keeping that connection with Jesus vital. Okay, There's always a need to have time to just decompress and just be with him and say, talk to me, Jesus. <laughs> Tell me what's on your heart. Okay, There's always going to be a need for that. And I, I'll guarantee you, I will guarantee you, that if you're working from that place of that love bond with Jesus, you are going to be a million times more effective than you would have been working hard for Jesus. <laughs> okay? All right. So the third thing that sometimes interferes with people is relationship difficulties. You know, she talks in here about her brothers are mad at her. Um, Everybody knows somebody that has used to go to church. Now they don't go to church because something happened and they had a broken relationship with somebody. Somebody was mad at them or they were mad at somebody and so they don't go to church anymore. Okay. Now I realize I'm preaching to the choir because y'all are here. <laughs> but you all know somebody. I guarantee you know somebody who used to go to church and doesn't go to church now. And most often it's because something happened that ruptured a relationship within the church. So I want you, I'm deputizing you all, <laughs> to help those people, okay? Because that is really not the way they want to live, especially not in this hour, okay? And you can be a help to them if you can help them get back into a church somewhere, okay? And finally, the last thing is... Um, feeling like we've lost connection with Jesus. Um, <clears throat> she talks about where, where do you feed your flock? Where do you, where do you go? I mean, I don't know you know where you are, okay? Sometimes when we're um, 
going through life and we run into that darkness that I was talking about, it can feel like God is so far away, okay? Um, I went through a time in my life for about a year and a half where one of my kids, and I'm not going to say who, was having trouble, serious trouble, and was even doubting their faith. And I took that to heart, and I thought it's, it was the parenting, you know. I was not a good mother. I should have been there. I should have done this, could have done that, you know. Maybe that would have made a difference for this kid. Um, it just ate my lunch. It really did. For a year and a half, I felt like God was so far away, I couldn't find him, you know. And I thought, well, stands to reason, knowing, you know, what a crummy mother I am, you know, that God would be far away, right? So you would think I would get over it faster than that, but I'm telling you, it was about a year and a half that I was going through the motions, doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, you know, but like I said, God seems so far away, so far away. Um, and then I had this encounter with him um, where a prophet prophesied over my child. Um, knew nothing about what was going on, but the Lord knew and spoke through him and spoke this message of hope um, over this child. And I, I want to say, by the way, everything is good now, okay? But that just kind of came out of the blue that this prophet spoke over my child. And then I had this encounter where God said that he loved to meet with me. Um, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I knew it was God that spoke it to me. And I'm telling you what, it just wrecked me. It just wrecked me because I knew it was true. How could it be true? But I knew it was true. And it completely turned everything on its head. All of the things that I thought were insurmountable, all the things that had happened, all the water under the bridge, it all looked like, hey, this is, this is going to turn around because God is in this and God is helping me and I'm not living at a distance anymore. So, I don't know if any of these resonated with you that you've seen that in your own life or even if you're in that place right now. But I want to look at what is the counsel of Jesus for you. If you find yourself tomorrow, one of these things is troubling you. What is Jesus' counsel to you? If we go back to the Song of Songs passage. Can we put that up again? There we go. Uh, okay, keep going. Okay. So this is the beloved's response. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, or O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock. That's his first piece of advice. Follow in the footsteps of the flock. So what does that mean allegorically? Yeah. Where is Jesus' flock? Yeah. It's his church. Okay. 
Um, I've heard it put like this, and it, it's kind of a, it's a, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a youth group maybe sort of thing. <laughs> but, but the church is like this huge bonfire, you know, with many logs and many sticks in this bonfire that's just burning. You can see it for miles, right? If you go in and you grab one of the ends of the branches that are in the fire and you pull it out and take it 10 feet away from the fire and set it down, what happens to that branch? It burns, it burns for a while, but then it slowly gets less and less and less, right? Sometimes it even smokes out, right? Church is kind of like that. When we are together, we encourage one another. We challenge one another. <laughs> we stand with one another. We pray for one another. There's just this synergy that happens when the church comes together that is like nothing else. And yeah, you know, you can try being a Christian um, just off by yourself, just you and Jesus. And there'll be some success to that. But it's not God's ideal. His ideal is for you to be in that bonfire, burning brightly yourself, helping others to burn brightly, adding to the impact of that fire, to the brightness of that fire. So there is a scripture, Hebrews 10, 25, that's just a very brief statement about that. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I, you don't have to agree with me on this. I personally believe the time when Jesus is going to return is really getting closer now, really getting closer now. It's even more important during this time for us to be together for us to encourage one another, to us spur each other on for this time, okay? So again, if you know somebody that's, you know, doesn't have time for church anymore or doesn't like church anymore, really try to help them find a church that they can be a part of. All right, Jesus' second response of advice to her is feed your little goats. Okay, this is allegorical again. Okay, you got your allegory glasses on, right? She is a shepherd in her own. Um, find their spiritual gifting. I want you to help them find their assignments in God. I want you to comfort them when things go wrong. I want you to strengthen them. Okay, everybody, okay, we all have our little flock of goats. And he's saying it's important that you pay attention to that, that you tend to that. Now, sometimes we think, oh, man, you know, I got, I got enough to do to just try to take care of myself, <laughs> you know. But I tell you what, there is life in imparting to others. There is life in that. And if you're a parent, man, you got your own little flock of goats right there in your household, okay? Um, don't neglect that. Don't think it's not important. Jesus is saying this is one of his most important pieces of advice. Feed your little goats. Take care of your little goats, okay? 
Third thing is, and this is, we're going to wrap with this, um, he says to go by, beside the shepherd's tents. I want to I put that back up again. Can we do that? Thank you, Daniel. To feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. Okay. I think this is talking about being near the leadership in the church. Okay. Um, people have bad experiences sometimes with leadership and they think, oh, you know, it's better if I just do it on my own. I don't need somebody else telling me what to do because <laughs> they're going to give me bad advice. Actually, Jesus is saying, no, I want you beside the shepherd's tents. That's where you'll find me. Okay? So the assignment would be find some leadership that you trust. Find somebody that you think um, you can learn from. Someone you can trust. Somebody you can follow their example. Somebody that you can be submitted to, cooperate with. It is really important. It will be an important part of your life. It will be something that will really help you grow, really help you mature. And yes, you can be a Christian, and you don't listen to anybody, but I tell you what, when you get to the end, you're going to wish that you hadn't walked that way because the fruit of your life is going to be much diminished by that. And to fa the fact that there are leaders that are not good leaders doesn't make this untrue. You just got to find the good ones. Find the good shepherds. There's one sitting right over there, by the way. So, um, again, I want to look at a scripture because I'm, I'm not just, this is an allegory, but, you know, the principles that I'm talking about are all throughout scripture. So, I want to look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, or that, that word can be also cooperate with. For they watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. That's very practical advice there, okay? If, if, you, if you're getting in disputes with your leadership all the time, um, <laughs> it's going to be unprofitable for you. <laughs> Let me just say that. I want to say that gently, okay? We're, we're allowed to have disagreements with one another, but let's have a humility, a humble spirit. Let's have humility, okay? Just because I think I'm right doesn't mean I am right, okay? Yeah. So let's cooperate with one another. Let's trust each other. Let's challenge each other all the more as the day approaches, right? All right, I'm gonna wrap with that. Let's pray together, okay? Um, so as, as we're starting this, um, there may be some people in the room, because I don't know everybody that's in the room, so there may be somebody in the room that has not yet um, had an encounter with Jesus, has not yet 
experience the joy of having him be their shepherd, of having their sins forgiven. Um, if that's you this morning, I just ask that you just raise your hand so that I know. I want to just pray for you if that's the case. Okay, so I want to just give you a moment before I start talking again and distracting you. I just want you to just turn your eyes on Jesus for a moment. Just quiet yourself before him. Just, if there's any of these things that we've been talking about this morning that you go, man, I think I'm kind of stuck on that one. I feel like I don't really have the victory. I don't really have... Um, I don't really see how I'm going to get past that. Okay. I just want you to just have a conversation right now with the Lord about that before I pray. And if you'd like to have somebody pray with you about those things, we are, we're going to have a prayer team over here in the corner. We'd be happy to do that, just to encourage you. Father, we just, uh, we desire to grow in love for your son. We love him now, but we know that there is a deeper love that's available for all of us to walk in. And we want Jesus to have it all. We want him to be loved with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. We want to be able to love others out of the overflow of that love. And God, in any of the ways that people are thinking about right now, that they feel stuck, God, I just ask that you would move in power over their lives, that you would set them free from whatever is hindering them. God, that you would take us to new, new levels of love for you, new levels of freedom from what is in our lives as darkness right now, God, new levels of freedom for those things that are holding us back right now. God, I ask for your power to be over us, your grace, your magnificent grace to be over us, to break us free from those things. And we say we're not, we're not going to try to do this in our own strength. We're going to lean into you. We're going to lean on you, Jesus. We're going to believe you. We're going to put our lives in your hands. And so we say, here we are, Jesus. We put our lives in your hands again. Amen.